I'd love to talk about the fact that it's my 50th birthday, but that's not as interesting as the fact that, Ed, is it true that you get press loaners? <laughs> well, I've, I've gotten one uh, this year, and it's the first mm-hmm. one I've had, and I can't even remember how long. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I had a, a Mustang Mach-E for a week uh, earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And with my birthday, by the way, happy birthday, Alex. Uh, Thanks. Many happy returns. Uh, my birthday is also coming up, and um, I had a, a little trip planned up to uh, Washington's beautiful Olympic Peninsula, and I and in a different press loaner. And I, well, no, so I planned the trip without it, and then it kind of occurred to me, like, oh, I might actually be able to charge an EV from this Airbnb. Maybe I'll. It, that, that's a wild coincidence because when my daughter was uh, going to be born, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great to take her home to the hospital? In a Volvo wagon, brown on brown. <laughs> and a few hours later, I was in possession of the car. What a wild coincidence. We are truly privileged. It seems like you both have more access to cars than I do. And I actually am transportation editor at a publication. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosak, Transportation Editor at TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I am the Communications Director at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education and the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. I'm Alex Roy, the uh, Director of Special Operations at Argo AI, whom I do not represent on this show, the holder of many cannonball records, some of which I've lost, and the, some would say the um, progenitor of many ideas, only a handful of which I actually execute. You know who's driven more cars than any of us in recent memory that are are cool without any ethical problems? (laughs) Our guest today. (laughs) The infamous, the famous, I I, I don't know about you guys, but a name that has recurred in my life many times over the years, always positively, which is rare on this show, a man with no baggage, Bradley Brown. Hello, Bradley. That's awfully high praise. Thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. I uh, love the show. Love all of all three of you folks. Um, seem to see a lot more of Kirsten these days, but uh, I did see Alex this week, and uh, it was a pleasure. So, where did you, you see each other this week? Uh, he flew into LA for a friend's birthday, so we were oh, at a mutual right. friend's birthday party. Sort of secret. No, for Matt Matt Farrow's birthday, very very VIP event. I was surprised <laughs> to be invited. I was shocked that I made the cut. Not shocked to see Bradley there. Yes, Bradley. of course, of course. For anyone who doesn't know, doesn't read the episode descriptions, doesn't know who you are, you loom large because you are you were, I guess, one of the original people behind Radwood. Is that correct? That's correct. There are four okay. co-founders. I am one of them. Saving the history of, of late model vehicles. Which oh, is amazing. sure, right. I don't know if I would go quite that far. What is Radwood? Like a lot of people on the show probably – or listening to the show probably don't know what, what Radwood is. Let's, Brad, can you just – what's the, the quick version of that and like where yeah. it came from? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Radwood is a festival of, that celebrates the 80s and 90s. Uh, we do shows all over the country, sometimes internationally. And it's uh, mostly a car festival, but it also celebrates culture, music, um, extreme sports, everything that was great about the 80s and 90s. And we started in 2017. Um, We had our first show in June of that year. And it was was meant to be something for us and our friends and maybe a few Instagram followers. We expected like 40 cars and we got like 110. So then we knew we kind of had something on our hands and we, uh, we 
started doing more shows. So now, uh, I want to tell you something right now, Bradley. I'm very upset with you because oh. I think we knew each other a little bit back then. In twenty in twenty fifteen, mm-hmm. I met a TV producer and he's like, What's your dream show? I'm like, my dream show is late model classics. Whatever is in its <laughs> at its cheapest right now. Yeah. So fifteen to twenty years ago, that's what the show is about. And I, I made a list of cars. I'm like, here's all the cars that would be that would be in that show. And number one for me, it was an, a BMW 840 CSI. <laughs> you know, and I just went on down the list of like all you know, various 90s cars. And this guy, he's like, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah. And and so you can tell me right now, did you know about this idea? You took, <laughs> did you take it from me, or is this on your own? I absolutely did not know. All right, all right, it's fine. And tell us about how Radwood grew and and how it scaled to what it is today. Yeah, I mean, we were uh, we just exploded onto the scene. It was amazing. People t- people took to it amazingly quickly. We did two shows in seventeen. We did five shows in eighteen. I think we did nine shows in nineteen, and we had planned to do one a month in twenty twenty, and obviously that did not happen. So our biggest show ever was the last one we did in Austin, Texas, right before uh, everything shut down. And what were the what are the criteria to enter such a show? Like what and what's the business? Uh, 1980 to 1999, everything is welcome. Whether it's a Geo Metro or a Lamborghini Countach or what you know, everything that was built in that era is welcome. Um, we do allow some earlier cars if they're built. for the period, you know, like a, like the car from the ZZ Top mu- music video, like that would be welcome. We've had the van, Spicoli's van from Fast Times. We, Was you know, it the original van or the, the van from the movie? Wow. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah. What, what about the car from the race? With with oh, that so, we've had that at the show too. Oh, re- oh really? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Dodge M4S Turbo. We had that at uh, Radwood Detroit. Dodge actually brought it out. Wow. So, yeah. It's funny too. Uh, it, it's been really cool seeing the Redwood thing kind of explode onto the scene. It, it went, as you're describing, like from, you know, didn't exist and oh. one day it existed. And then all of a sudden it's like everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it kind of, it's funny because it, it reminded me of um, like, so I, I kind of, my first exposure to, to, to car culture in a lot of ways was through German car magazines that my dad subscribed to. And in, in Germany, right. So there's yeah. an old timers thing, which is classic cars. And it's like, you know, the classic boomer cars, frankly, but then there was young timers. And even in the nineties, like young timers was a thing. And these were cars that were not new. They were older. Mm-hmm. They were maybe something that, you know, you'd uh, bought in your youth or, or, or like admired in your youth or whatever. And like the cool thing about it is that, is that, you know, and I think especially now, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on sort of like what's happened with just sort of the, the car collecting market in general, but like, and, and and maybe this isn't as true anymore because of what's happened there, but like the young timer thing was not just a way to like, you know, it's not just that young, younger people get into, you know, classic cars by, by buying the ones that, you know, were big in their childhood, but also it was more affordable, right? Like, mm-hmm. like buying a, you know, a, you know, and, and keeping a, a really old classic car running is, is hard. And like newer classic cars are um, a really interesting way into it. Was that like part of the original vision or was it really more about sort of nostalgia and that just kind of came along for the ride? Because that piece wasn't really, it, it wasn't really a, a big part of like American car culture until Radwood really. Um, it was, it was a little bit of everything, but I think the main thing was, it was just 
these were the cars that we had and there was nowhere for us to go. You know, if we went to a classic car show, people would kind of push us over in the corner. If we went to Mark specific shows, you know, I went to a PCA Concours with my old 944 and, you know, it was a $1,500 car or whatever. And they were like, are you sure you want to pay the entry fee to be in this show? So it's always kind of been an accessibility thing. Those animals and the disgusting behavior. (laughs) Disgusting. So it's always, we've always been trying to welcome everybody and and make it a a place for people to come and have fun. Um, I think the, to your point, there's like a, an apex of the cars are old enough that they're analog enough and still really fun to drive, but they're new enough that they have things like fuel injection and ABS. So they're, they're relatively simple to work on, but they're still modern enough to be safe and reliable daily drivers. And when, or when, if ever, did it become a, an official thing to dress in period correct clothing? That that has always been a part of it. We suggested Mm -hmm. that from the very beginning because Mm -hmm. we were actually kind of building this on the same premise as uh, like a Goodwood revival, um, which is actually where we kind of heard the name from. Yeah, is Radwood. It's like Goodwood, but more rad. And now, so the business, what is the business? Entry fees to bring your vehicle to the event? Is is there more? Yeah, there's um, there's entry fees for vehicles. There's a spectator uh, ticket price, and then we have we sell merch at the events, and we have um, business deals with vendors and OEMs and other. You know, we just signed a deal with Blue Blocker as the official sunglasses of Radwood. I like so, that. So yeah, I mean, there's there's sponsorships and and deals like that as well. So um, we're we're getting back to where we're uh, extremely successful. I mean, we did a show on Saturday in Los Angeles area that was 600 cars and 4,000 people. So it was a pretty intense, big orchestration to to put on. And we got to thank Acura for all their help in that. So, And did you ever try to develop like the business into period correct car rallies? We are working on that. Hopefully next year we'll have a a rally. Um, I'm actually working on something with the Overland Expo guys. Uh, I have a plan to potentially do like a three-day overlanding off-road Radwood adventure. That sounds pretty fun. That sounds Um, incredible. Ed's eyes lit up just then. (laughs) Because I have an idea that um, I want to make sure that I'm paid for this idea if if you use it. And here it is. these cannibal run people, you know, these lunatics, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they, in order to slow down the drive, because it's getting out of hand, they have gone into um, lower priced, you know, events. So the 2904 is the cannonball for vehicles under $2,904. Okay. And th- just a few weeks ago, they got together and did a thing called the musket ball, which is vehicles under 100 horsepower. And I mm-hmm. think that's great. But mm-hmm. I think what, what we really need, and I think Radwood, I think you, maybe you are the man to organize it is a period correct um, drive mm-hmm. in which everything, and I mean the maps, the radar detectors must be <laughs> period correct. Like you must get an original fuzz buster. Like if, original. If, the, if a bridge was built after 99, you can't use it. <laughs> now, the paper maps have to be of the year, the scrutineers have to check. I would go so and no cell phones allowed in the vehicle at all, or it's in this, in a, in a locked box, yeah. and if the box is opened, you're disqualified, and the right. organizers are informed. 
I would even say that there might be a super, a super, super period correct class where the in-car wiring and vehicle harnesses must also be period correct. (laughs) Oh my God, Alex. It's down to the tires. How how many, how many participants would you forecast would, would Alex Roy that is in storage right now would be the only participant available. You know, I think what Bradley, Bradley proved and Radwood proved is that if you build it, Someone will come. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> and, I, honestly, yeah. I think we could get uh, 20 to 30 participants on an event like that. And really, that's all you would need. But um, yeah, that's a great idea. I actually really like that idea. I'm not, I've done some cross country drives. I'm not usually one for trying to do them quickly, but that <laughs> might be kind of fun. I wanted to set the French uh, vintage cannonball record in a uh, Citroen SM. And I'm like, that's too, no one could ever do that. And last week on the musket ball, Somebody took a Citroen XM, which is crazy. Wow. That's not that old. Yeah. Is that, that's Radwood compliant, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's crazy. Yeah. Tell us about the event. You just crossed the country yeah. uh, in an electric vehicle. And I this, did. I think, is the first event of its kind. Tell us what the event was called. Tell us everything that happened. Uh, <laughs> well, I can't tell you everything that happened, but um, I was on a 10-day cross-country EV rally called Charge Across America. And um, my wife and I competed in this event in a brand new Porsche Taycan, rear wheel drive, um, performance battery plus, I think is what they call their large battery, 93 kilowatt hour. So you were slumming it. Super slumming it, yeah. Terrible car. No, I I loved every minute of it. Great car. Quietest (laughs) EV I've ever driven in. It was and so well put together. The fit and finish is amazing, and the the UI is pretty good. And and you know, I love wireless CarPlay. That stuff rules. Um, it it was a really good car for what we use it for. Um, the event started in Brooklyn and ended in Thousand Oaks, California. Um, we did have to go through Malibu, so we did actually see coast to coast, but we ended up you know cutting back north to to get it to the finish line. And um, it was, uh, you know, normally you wouldn't, especially somebody like you guys or Alex in particular, wouldn't take 10 days to go across the country, even in an EV. But the rules of this event uh, kind of made that mandatory. One, we were only allowed to use uh, DC fast public charging. Well, public charging, we, we could only use public charging. It didn't have to be DC fast, but obviously if you want to win, that, that was, you know, out of the question. But I did end up having to emergency charge uh, on a 220 at a RV park. So that was something else. But anyway, um, for the most part, we're using CCS, uh, DC fast network across the country. Um, and it wasn't a direct route. We did have to go up into Michigan for a night and we we had to go like, through certain areas that were very um, uncharger friendly, like all of Indiana and all of Colorado. Um, uh, so that was kind of like intentionally made to make us like a little hectic. And one of the major benefits of EVs is overnight charging. And we were not allowed to do that either. So everything had to be done on the clock. Um, so if you came into your hotel and you needed to charge, you had to do it before you clocked out for the night. It was three to 400 miles a day of driving. 
um, which isn't too bad. Usually took, you know, five, six, seven hours, something like that. Uh, obviously, if you ran into an issue, some people took 12, 13, 15, sometimes hours to get their days done. Um, and there were things like scavenger hunts and we had to visit places and take selfies and there were points paid off for those things. And, uh, there was a, an element of, um, giving to charity and there was an element of buying from local restaurants and things like that. So you, you added up points across the trip and, um, and then at the end it was all tallied up and, and people were awarded prizes or not. So I can't really say how the results went because it is going to be televised on NBC Sports on December 21st. Um, it was filmed by our good friends at Tangent Vector. No and, way, JF and the boys. Yeah. yeah. So um, it was a really good time. We had a camera crew with us uh, all day, every day in the car and at every charging station and everything. So how was this organized uh, from like vehicle classes? Cause obviously some vehicles charge faster than others. Some have different size battery packs. Yes. If it's not a race, like what was the structure of the event? To the extent that you can tell us. Uh, yeah, no, it, it basically it was a, you know, we had a Taycan, so we have faster charging where we were, we could take on 270 kilowatts and everybody else was kind of stuck around the 150 range. Did you ever actually hit that though? I did. Twice. You did? Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's impressive. Once near Las Vegas and once uh, in Barstow, California. Other than okay. that, I was uh, certainly below 200. And um, part of the strategy was uh, every day as you came in, you were awarded points for your finishing order. But that also determined your leaving order the next day. So whoever came in last would leave first. So part of other people's strategy, particularly those in cars that could not accept 270, would be to park their 125s on the 350 charger and force us to use a 150. So that would slow us down. That's what I would do. Right, exactly. (laughs) So we had to work around that and try to use chargers nobody else was using, try to make range where range didn't exist and make it to the next charger beyond the the charger that we hoped to use. So there was a lot of strategy involved. How did the range do on the Taycan? Because one thing I've noticed, and I haven't driven it cross country and I've just done like little day press drives, is that it seems that the range that's stated, you can generally get far, go far beyond that. Way beyond. And I wonder, I wonder why it's so like stated so low. Porsche's always done that. It's a marketing thing. They like to underpromise and overdeliver. I think it's a very German right. tactic, I guess. They do that on horsepower, they do that on MPGs, they do that on everything. They self-reported, I think 225 is the range of the car that we had. And we regularly saw 280, 290. Um, I think on day one, we got almost to 300. So yeah, it, it was certainly farther than, uh, what it's rated at. It's a, it's an interesting tradition to kind of lean into now in light of, you know, Tesla's sort of runaway popularity and, and their sort of track record of, of really doing the opposite, right. Of, right. of over promising and under delivering. Um, right, it's right. a really interesting way to contrast. Yeah. For, for me though, at least I, I, maybe not for me, but for, a, 
a newcomer to EVs, it's sort of like you're dealing with a public that just wants to know what to expect. Sure. And so I get the appeal of Porsche and people don't go into that being like, I'm going to buy my first EV. I know I'm going to buy a Taycan, like probably sure, not sure, right. and being unfamiliar with the brand. Mm-hmm. But I've always kind of, as EV, EVs have evolved, to me, it's more about that precision is more important than than understating things and over-delivering, although that's very nice. And certainly, as Ed points out, contrary to some other companies. But to me, it's more like, I just wish that they would be accurate so that when people know what to expect. But I, that's difficult because it's driving style. I think, well, that, that's part of it. I think part of it is that... Um... Porsche doesn't want people to be surprised when it's cold out or when right. yeah. they're driving aggressively or yeah, when, when they're driving it like you want to drive a Porsche. Like that exactly. to me is right. Like, yeah. So like on a cold day with a five-year-old battery and you're driving aggressively, it'll get 225 right. miles. Right. Yeah. You know, they're, they're looking at like a worst case scenario. Maybe I, you know, I can't, I can't speak for them, but that's my thought on it. Um, back to Radwood though, for a moment, one, one, one item I wanted to point out is that all of us now have vehicles that officially qualify because I took delivery yesterday. Does Alex still have a Radwood vehicle? Oh yeah. The, the M5. Of course. Yeah. I'm sorry. I have a, yeah. My 1987 Porsche 911 Targa. Yes. Which is a very fun vehicle to drive and was sitting in my driveway for more than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I certainly enjoyed it, but now I've replaced that with a 1984 928S. Yes. And it's, it's red and Love only it. it's actually in pretty, in pretty good shape. But um, we've had, we hit a, a couple of snafus. Uh, it wasn't running. It hadn't run in years. And we had all the fluids, um, you know, flushed out and everything. And then they apparently didn't understand that by flushing all the fluids, that also meant the gas. And they started the vehicle oh, no. with five-year-old gas in it. So we redid well, the. Yeah, we had to start over. Um, but yeah, it runs, and I'll be uh, I'll be driving it around today. Awesome! So I'm excited for the next uh, Radwood event. We should all go and meet up. That's so cool. Yeah. Now, Bradley, do you, um, now that you have intimate experience with these various charging networks, yes. What is your, uh, I guess, best case, worst case prediction for when we're going to see charging networks reach, I guess, a critical mass uh, that, uh, pe- that will enable electric electric vehicles to really take off um the there are a few like double-edged swords with that because i think one americans don't have pragmatic expectations and they they believe that like oh i'll be going on 600 mile road trips once a month or whatever and they never do they do that once a year or maybe twice a year so i think the the DC fast system, particularly when it's non-Tesla, needs a lot of help. There's not enough chargers. There's not enough charging stations. And there's too long of distances between stations. And there, the reliability isn't there. I mean, I would say one in 10 chargers that we touched was faulty in some way or another. 
and probably six in 10 chargers that we touched was providing a much slower charge than um, it's rated at. So the DC, the DC fast network, particularly when it relates to CCS charging is woefully bad. It's, it's going to be a while. Um, but as normal people use it, I think probably the most important thing would be level two on street overnight charging for neighborhoods and low income people and trying to make it a a normal everyday thing that you can go 30 to 40 miles in a day, top up overnight and not have to worry about it. What, what do you think about, um, I've seen this pop up here and there. First, it seemed like a silly novelty, but now I'm coming around to it, which is the idea of solar as passive, kind of a passive charging solution for on-street. Um, not necessarily to provide all the charging, but it seems to be really geared towards apartment dwellers, people who mm-hmm. don't have access to a garage, and and understanding that maybe the charging infrastructure isn't totally there, hitting that sort of urban driver uh, demographic. Do you see promise in that? And you think you're going to see more of it? Um, so I've, the only way I could see solar working as a charging solution would be if it was paired with a massive storage selection. So you would have to have batteries there to hold the solar and then you're basically charging from battery to battery, not from solar to battery. Um, because most charging is at night. Well, because most charging is at night. And also, like, it would take a, a massive array. I have a nine-panel system on my garage, and that produces enough in one day to charge my Leaf. So, And my Leaf is a small battery 2011 model. So, like, if you're charging a Hummer on it, that's like seven days of production from my nine panel system. So it would really only work like once a week to fill up a, you know. Right. So you would have to have a lot of storage and and hope that you're going to get enough sun to offset the amount of charging when people aren't plugged in. Yeah. You you see, um, like I said, sort of these novelty, like Sono Motors and like these startups have it. Yeah. But now, you know, it's not coming in the United States as far as I know, but the Hyundai Ionic, the new mm-hmm. one, has mm-hmm. a solar roof. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering where that fits in and if, if we're going to just see that disappear in a couple of years because it's not going to really play out. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, you know, on a good sunny day, it'll it'll maybe add like 12, 15 miles to your range, which isn't nothing. Is it worth the cost of putting it on? I think is the question, you know, it's like, that's cool. And wow, that's really convenient if you're parked on the street, but um, is it justify the cost of putting the solar roof on the vehicle to begin with? I, I would say probably not, but it it's also like early adoption technology, like everything. I mean, look at where we've come with lithium technology in the last 10 years. If you don't start somewhere, you're never going to get to where it's good. So Maybe it's a good idea to do it now and hope that photovoltaic gets better as time goes on and becomes a viable solution. Mm-hmm. I don't know. These these are some of the issues that like uh, you know are why uh, Tesla superchargers are not like all 100 percent off grid solar. Right. 
which right. by the way, like it's, it's so funny because that's one of the like Elon promises that, that everyone forgets about in part because it happened so long ago. He made it in 2012. So uh, it's, we're coming up on the, uh, the 10 year anniversary of that promise. I don't know that there's any off grid superchargers right now. There's a there's few that have solar, but none of them are off grid. Yeah. So anyway, that was that was my mandatory. I'm I'm required by my publisher to include one digression. And you bring up a good point though about um, you know, there are places where I wish DC fast charger, like Electrify America, I'd put them in there as well. Where when you're crossing the desert and you're sitting there chilling okay. for 20 minutes and there's a Carl's Jr. or a Walmart to pick from. You kind of don't want to do that. You kind of don't want to sit in your car. Wouldn't it be nice to have shaded solar that was also, to me, offsetting yes. that makes sense, but uh -huh. completely supplying it? Probably not. But why not create also like a cool experience? If you're going to, you know, like I've, I've crossed, done the crossing from, you know, Arizona into LA or all the way up to San Francisco in an EV many, many times. And every single time it's like, I'm roasting. And the infrastructure just isn't really, it's like, not only does it, is it unreliable, sometimes it feels a little unsafe mm -hmm. or just hot as hell. Mm -hmm. um, and so it doesn't really, it's not like this magical place, right? Where you like quickly run in and you have this great ambiance and then you're off in your vehicle. It just, that's not happening. It seems like a missed opportunity. Yeah. I would, I will say the thing that makes sense for solar for me is rarely traveled highways mm. so like in montana or colorado or something like that where you don't have the grid to be able to to support a dc fast but you're really only charging one vehicle a week maybe anyway um just having that as like a, a last gasp effort where there's a solar panel charging a rack of batteries your ionic five or whatever rolls in and you plug in and you're pulling from the battery and then you take off and then it's got a week to replenish that before the next person with an EV comes through. So like maybe I could see that being something where um, as, as a stopgap before we get to like a full national. And I know there are companies that are doing that, especially in like rural California right now. But it, it is kind of also funny that we're so like, you know, that this is such a challenge and there are so many, you know, so much talk about it and focus on it and everything. And, and, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, the vast majority of Americans drive, you know, 40 miles a day or less. Right. 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 And, yeah, and you know, we're talking about 500, 600 miles of range, massive supercharge, you know, right. charging infrastructure. Like that's why it, I, I know that people I, I got shit for it again today on Twitter, but I, I will always champion the MX 30. I love that car. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know, I know you and I, I, I don't need it. I don't need more than a hundred miles of range. Yeah. I know you and I agree on this uh, from, from Twitter. And I've been like, like waving this flag on this show for years now. And Alex and Kirsten <laughs> just still aren't buying it. They still think it's. No, I buy it. Whoa, whoa. I buy a plug-in hybrid. I think for someone like me, it makes sense up until today. People have always laughed because they're like, you write about cars. You have one car, you know, Alex has 20 or something, but um, what? or whatever. It's more than one hand of vehicles. Um, and for me, I've always wanted a vehicle that can be one vehicle that can suit. All. We do take multiple long, like that's how we 
vacation is we take long road trips, but I also Mm -hmm. want something that I can camp in that I also want something for daily driver. I ride a bike mostly or my husband does. So it's like to have an EV, then I need to buy another car, which is like defeats the purpose of, you know, the whole intent, I guess. So I've always been like a believer in plug-in hybrids as long as it doesn't have this silly, like, you know, 12 miles of EV charge to me, that doesn't, doesn't really seem to make much sense. Yeah. The way I look at it is I, you know, I, like I said, I drive a leaf. I have a 2011 leaf. It's got like 45 miles of range for around town. It's perfect. I've never needed more than that. I never feel like I'm going to, obviously I can't leave town. I'm not going on the highway. I'm not going to Sacramento or to the Bay or whatever. I wouldn't make it. There's not enough chargers between here and there. There might be, but it'd be, it'd take forever. Um, but like I plug it in at home, it's full all the time. I just take it whenever I need to go somewhere in town, usually grocery shopping or whatever. Um, and then I come back and plug it back in and it's full again. So I think for that, basically the way I look at it is like, it's, it's aimed at a, a, you know, a low, small range EV is probably aimed at a middle-class Millennial couple with no kids. Dual income family. They both have a car. One of them gets rid of their car for the around town car. And the other one keeps their car for long distance journeys. You don't need two cars that can go long distance. So you get rid of one of them and you have a short distance EV. And then maybe, you know, a Model S or whatever as your second car. A Model S? Sure. As your second car? Maybe a third or, I mean, you know, if you really want to get crazy, I mean, you can, you know, uh, it, it's amazing. I mean, I've, I've only recently since the pandemic sort of done a lot more in terms of like really thinking about when I'm around town, do I even need to take a vehicle at all? Can right. I? So and part of it is I've had access to an e-bike, which is really mm-hmm. uh, eye-opening kind of experience for me because you think of it as just a bicycle, but it's really so much more than that. And, um, and, and just public transit and stuff. And I, I think it's, you know, I think a lot of like, there's a lot of people out there who, you know, kind of struggle maybe with like their love of cars, but then also some of the sort of politic, you know, the politics mm-hmm. of, of mm-hmm. cars and stuff. And, and, and reconciling that can be hard for a lot of people. And for sure. Um, and for me, I feel like it's like where the politics matter are in the city. Right. Like this is why I have a pickup truck, you know, that's not a hybrid or plug in hybrid or anything. It's just a gas burning pickup truck. But mm-hmm. It's because when I use that, I am trying to get as far away from everyone as possible. And like, that's just what you know, um, what, what works for that. And for me, like the politics of cars, it it matters in the city in a way that it doesn't matter in the countryside because you have these problems of geometry, you know, everything, parking, pollution, pedestrian impacts, all, all of the political or politicized political issues around, around vehicles, they all happen in the city. And so to me, like, that's where to focus on that, that energy. Right. Mm -hmm. So Bradley, can you tell us about your new project? Because I, I once again, I'm quite sure that you heard I was thinking about this. <laughs> and it was such a good idea, but you knew that I was not as organized as others. <laughs> if, tell if us about know, Autopia. If you knew how disorganized I was, you wouldn't say that. But, um, you know, it's just it's just copacetic brain. You know, we have the same brain. That's scary. I know, right? <laughs> 
So, uh, Autopia 2099 is a new electric show that I am uh, bringing to the world on December 4th. There's still time to get tickets. There's still time to bring your car. It is in Los Angeles, uh, right at the end of the runway at LAX. There's a movie studio called Optimist Studios. And we've rented that out for the day to bring um, a really cool venue and really cool people together. And we're celebrating all electrified transportation. So anything from if you have uh, hydrogen-powered rocket boots up to uh, your brand new... um, you know, lucid air, uh, whether it's hybrid hydrogen, uh, a full Bev plug in, whatever it is, if it runs on electricity at all, bring it. I, I want to have a celebration of everything from RC cars to ev- everything that can possibly run on electricity. So, and how many people have signed up for this event? Is this the first one? This is the first one. Um, uh-huh. I have given away a bunch of tickets, so I don't actually know the number, but um, it's going to be, it certainly won't be on a Radwood scale. Um, being the first show and uh, just getting started and just kicking things off, um, it's, we're probably aiming for around 100 cars, give or maybe a little less than that. We'll see. Is this the first event, the first event of its kind for electric vehicles like this this way? As far as I'm aware, um, there have been, uh, you know, EV clubs that have done meetups and stuff like that. But I think this is the first one that's like um, trying to go big, like in the way that a Radwood or a Lufka cult or a whatever, you know, that creating a vibe. Um, it's more than just parking cars in a parking lot and, and hanging out and talking shop. Um, you know, we will have the people who will have the pocket protectors and we'll have the people who are, uh, Tesla enthusiasts and we'll have going to say, who, you're going to get Tesla fans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how boring. And we'll have the people who built, uh, crazy stuff in their garage. Uh, one of mm-hmm. my buddies is bringing his DeLorean that's powered by a leaf motor. Mm-hmm. I know we'll have the world's fastest EV, uh, the revolt technologies, um, Streamliner that raced at Bonneville did 357. That car will be there, uh, powered by two Tesla motors, obviously. Uh, <laughs> uh, AEM is bringing their EV swapped Pinsgauer, which is oh, totally wow. awesome. Very nice. Um, there's there's a bunch of really cool stuff. EV West is coming. Busy Moto is coming. So it's going to be like a a full on festival. Um, it's, uh, the title sponsorship is brought to you by Nissan. So they're bringing a few cars. They're going to have a, a public unveiling of the Aria for people to, to check out. Uh, it's a really cool vehicle. I saw it last week, 45 grand, 300 miles of range for the base model. Seems about right. Uh, Livewire is going to be there. They're bringing four bikes. Uh, I think one of them is a race bike and I think one of them might be, uh, Ewan McGregor's bike from the long way up. Cool. Which would be really is, cool. Uh, are they going to bring um, the e-bike, the serial? Uh, no. So technically... I've, it's separate, I know, but it'd be cool if they brought it. <laughs> I've been in this conversation with them. Serial One is a different company and they're yeah. run by a different PR company. So you'll have to talk to them separately. And um, I, yeah, I would love for them to come, but they are for this one, it's going to be focused on Livewire. Got it. We have uh, hopefully a few other like 
smaller brands that are coming and some e-bike companies and some a uh, few things there. I'm I'm actually swinging through Zero and picking up some of their experimental uh, test bikes. Um, they swapped a Grom, which sounds so awesome. <laughs> and they uh, and one of their uh, prototype bikes, and then their new SR. So I'm going to haul those down to the show. So yeah, it'll be really cool. I think between e-bikes and cars and and swaps and race cars and projects and all kinds of stuff. It'll be really cool. My buddy Matt's bringing his Jaguar. Matt Farah? No. He doesn't have a Jaguar. Uh, but Matt, I did welcome Matt to come with his Mach-E. Uh, I don't know if he'll actually do it, but we'll see. And, but my friend Matt, super fast Matt on YouTube, uh, built this like 39 Jag Mark whatever seven i don't even know big jag sedan that he tesla swapped um that he's just got running and it looks totally rad so he's gonna drive that up um and i have a few friends that built like electric dirt bikes and cool stuff cool bunch of cool stuff coming so so it seems like traditional car shows are floundered for a variety of reasons but among them was that they were just car shows uh and if they had instead just become like movement, like the A to B show, mm-hmm. like you could bring it. doesn't matter how it's powered and you can show it. Yeah. Because, and that didn't happen. But that this electrification, that your approach electrification is you bring it. If it moves, you can bring it as long yeah. as it's electric, which yeah. is a very, int- a very different filter mm-hmm. for what is allowable or even encouraged at a show. But what is your point of view on hydrogen or I mean, it's like, is the Toyota Mirai welcome there? Yeah, it's it's welcome there for sure, because it's it's technically there is a propelled by electric motor. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Yeah. So, yes, uh, hydrogen is allowed. The only hydrogen that I wouldn't want is the BMW 7 Series that was combustion hydrogen. Mm. Which is like the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. But anyway, Uh, that would be very Radwood, though. It would be very Radwood. So, yeah, I think that um, hydrogen is interesting and I don't know that it has potential for anything to happen unless it takes off in a big way for for cross-country trucking. Yeah. If trucking grabs hydrogen, it could give us enough infrastructure and enough investment that it could potentially take off in the consumer world as well. That is one use case in which it really seems to make a lot more sense than the passenger vehicle. And, you know, Hyundai has theirs. They were showing off at the LA Auto Show. And I know that there's some others that are working, but obviously infrastructure is a problem. But trucking, it makes more sense. It makes more sense for that than an electric semi-truck. Still believe in Nikola, though, you know? (laughs) I don't, actually. I'm kidding. I don't. I don't believe them as far as I can throw that truck. And I <sighs> promise I can't throw that truck very far. Yeah. Well, <laughs> next, the next one you're going to have to, the next event, I'm assuming you're going to want to continue to do more of these. Um, yes. Maybe you should need to set up near a body of water because we're seeing, at least I'm seeing over in the TechCrunch world, a lot of interest and investment kind of flowing over from the EV Boat. Four four wheeled world into the boat yeah. world. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, I saw the um, Aeronautique's uh, like two hundred and thirty thousand dollars ski boat <laughs> the other day. There's one up in Tahoe um, that is electric. Yeah, you've got Pure Watercraft that GM just took a stake in, twenty five percent, and then um, a company I've written a, uh, about here and there, and they actually just announced even more. Um, it's Arc Boats, which is was mm-hmm. basically fun founded by a bunch of SpaceX yeah. folks yeah. who wanted to build something that like they could like use and have a piece in and and they've and they've got a bunch of funding too. There's a cool company called Elco that builds electric motors for retrofit to older boats. Mm-hmm. So they have like electric outboard motors and they have uh trolling motors and stuff that you can equip to your bass boat or your ski boat or whatever. And uh they have them in various price ranges and, and power outputs. So it's pretty cool. I'm also looking at electric boat startup with a very unique approach that I personally support. But oh, is this is already in from Miami or something? Or there's a, say there's another company out there. They're lurking. And I'm Are they based in Miami? Are they on the blockchain? They're not based Ooh, in Miami. Yeah, that's a that's a they're not that's on a the trigger boat word chain. for Alex. The boat the, the, the boat boat chain. chain. No, uh, but we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> Brad, I, I have a kind of a big a big picture picture question here because like I you know I started writing about cars in two thousand eight and and part of it was you know where I plugged into the culture or whatever but uh, you know auto enthusiasm kind of felt a little stale at that point certainly compared to now like I feel like the internet automotive enthusiasm thing has really exploded and like I think you know, events that, that you've been involved with, I mean, obviously Radwood and, and, and these others have been a, a really big part of it. So I was kind of just curious, like to get your thoughts on sort of what is, what is it and whether you, you know, saw it initially and went out and pursued it or whether it was something you sort of stumbled on what, like what, what is the the common thread that like, what, what did enthusiasm need to do to kind of evolve into the, you know, kind of more vibrant state that it is now, what was missing? Um. I think that I think that car culture has traditionally been an old boys club. It's been very exclusive, uh, not in the way that like it's hard to get in, but like they exclude people. Um, I guess it is hard to get in because you got to be rich and white. But um, anyway. gotta be a dude. <laughs> gotta be a dude. <laughs> yeah, but I think that that is starting to go away. And it's something that we've definitely encouraged is, um, you know, we we started in San Francisco. We're very LGBT friendly. We welcome women. We welcome younger people, older people. You know, we don't really discourage anybody from coming to a Radwood um, unless they're jerks. That's like the only the only thing that we don't want is jerks in our club. So uh, I think that's a big part of it. Car culture had to get over its old boy club um image and i think as younger generations continue to get into cars and and they always have been and they potentially always will be um that that will go away hopefully completely but i mean who knows i think that uh younger car younger people have always been into cars they just weren't into cars the way that older people wanted them to be into cars so they kind of like said, hey, car culture is dying, but it definitely wasn't. So um, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it does seem, though, that the our perception of 
of who works on vehicles has changed, which it seems propelled by, you know, maybe you, you can report back to us, but your upcoming event about, you know, taking older vehicles and, and electrifying them and sort of has a maker feel to it, but not in the old school hot rod way that I think maybe wasn't appealing or seemed for someone like me, like I wasn't going to be able to fit into that group. Um, and maybe it's because it's the electric angle that's appealing or, or something else. But um, that to me has seemed to be maybe a contributing factor as well. Interesting. One of the things that appeals to me about EVs is the the way that it feels like we're figuring it out the way that hot rodders did in the 50s. Right. Yeah, it's, but more in a more futurist, I don't know. It, it, I hate to I hate to lock it in right right away, yeah, you know, because yeah. maybe it's always existed and I'm just now my eyes are open, but there is this hobbyist feel to it, but then adding the internet in it. Like you can go on YouTube and watch Rich Rebuilds and you can mm-hmm. go, I could do that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a different feeling than what was a more closed off physical world before. Yeah. 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 Hope. I mean, I hope that's true. I hope that that continues to be true. And I hope that people figure out that uh, I can do this. I, I've always been able to do this and there's a community willing to support me. So seems like a, a great place to, to wrap up. Uh, yeah. A great place yeah. to stop. So uh, final note before we let our listeners and you go, where can people get tickets to this event? Uh, Autopia2099.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Autopia2099. I'm not happy about this. Just stole the idea. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently you can get tickets to Alex's event. um, Nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Ideas Uh, are ideas. You got to actually execute on those ideas, Alex. That's right. Give me a call next time you have an idea and I'll help you execute it. (laughs) There you go. And I I, I endorse and support any event you do. You. Well, you're involved. You're involved. Well, on that note, um, thank you so much for joining us today. And thanks to our listeners, too tuning into another episode of the Atomicast. Thank you so much for having me. I adore everything you three do, and I am so happy to be here. 